back everyone. You're watching We Heart Therapy. This is the special series EFT Talk and I'm your host Annabelle Bugatti, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified EFT therapist right here in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. We have a very exciting guest today. We have Michael Moran. He is an LCSW located in the awesome city of New York and he is um, a certified EFT supervisor. He's also a certified ASEC sex therapist. And he and one of our wonderful EFT trainers, Doya, run workshops about sex as a safe adventure. And he's agreed to join us today to talk about sexuality and discrepancies in desire and sexual scripts. And so we're gonna get right on into talking about sexuality. Thank you, Michael, so much for being with us today. Thanks, Annabelle. Happy to be here. So tell us a little bit more. So, you know, when, when couples come in for, you know, romantic issues or relationship mm -hmm. issues, and we bring up sex, you know, one of the most common things that we run across as therapists is the discrepancies in desire. And this seems mm -hmm. to be a place that gets a lot of therapists stuck. So can you shed some more light on what's going on here and where do we go from there comes yeah, out absolutely yeah it's a tricky thing and we hear about it often i think as couples therapists you know even as a uh, a couple who comes to us for you know conflict in the relationship will often hear about you know that the sex is in in the toilet that it's not that it's not uh, really happening and then as we start to you know unpack that often what we're getting is there's this you know this differential in in uh the desire to be sexual where one partner is you know reporting that they really they really want this to uh that they feel close with their partner when they're being more sexual and the other partner is just like i'm just not into it it's just not happening you know and what have you so you know one of the first things i do when i hear that is you know i put my eft hat on and i slow things down and we unpack it you know really mindfully right thoughtfully uh i take a thorough sexual history you know when it when we look at desire but i i do that i take that history through the eft lens right so when i start to unpack right have you ever felt desire what was that like did you did you have desire in the beginning of the relationship and then it dwindled or was it never really present right did do you have desire currently but not for your current partner right i i do individual sessions with, with all of this at first right so i can really start to understand what's going on with each partner um and so then as we begin to really unpack what's happening there we start to you know learn about you know what is uh what's occurring i will say though you know especially with sex i'd like to you know i really like to to emphasize this don't take anything at face value right get into your eft you know your eft space and get curious get curious about what's occurring because the myths that we live under in our culture and other cultures, what have you, you know, the beliefs about sex. Um, there's so much, you know, there's sexual trauma, right? There's a lot going on that can impact a person's capacity, right? To relax into their body and, and become sexual, right? To turn that, that erotic engine on. There's a lot that, that, 
has to occur there. So um, get curious and learn about what's, what's going on for each, for each person. So what I hear you saying, and this is so, so fabulous. Thank you so much. Um, I feel like I want to take notes. It's so good. <laughs> so when, you know, clients, when we get to the part about sexuality, what you're saying is a good thing to do for therapists would be to do an individual session with each of them and do a sexual history with them, mm -hmm. which is a fabulous idea. I don't think many of us mm -hmm. have considered that before. And I really love that these questions, you know, that you're suggesting, you know, talking to them about desire. Did you ever have desire? Um, when it did it start to dwindle? What if they say that they never had desire? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you'll hear that. Get curious, right? Unpack that, right? What does it mean to them to have desire, right? Um, what what is have they ever had moments of pleasure right then we slice it thinner slice slice desire thinner and learn about that if they say they never have does they've never had desire they just don't even really get it right you know i mean i err on the side of with with this kind of thing i err on the side of caution anyway but if i'm hearing that someone this is lifelong right it's not acquired it's not a dynamic that is present in this relationship that this person is reporting to me that um they've you know they they they've never had it they don't know what it is you know it's like what are, what are people talking about what's the big deal right um you know one of the things i'll definitely do is refer them to a physician to a you know usually a urologist who specializes in sexual health to make sure there isn't any, you know, physiology that's impacting it. Remember, with sex, which is not the case with, um, you know, with with our relational work that we do with folks, right? With sex, sex requires, you know, is dependent on the physiology. So you want to, you know, be mindful about that. And I tend to err on the side of caution. The way I present it to folks is, look, we're just, we, let's just do this as a rule out. Let's just ensure that the physiology is in place, right? That everything's fine. And most of the time, I'll be honest with you, most of the time, the physiology is fine. But it hasn't, that hasn't always been the case. And you want to rule that out from the outset because you can appreciate if there's something, you know, biochemical, the vascular, neurological, right? If there's, if there's issues that are going on physio physically, right, with the physiology and... Um, you're not, that's not being addressed. You can do the most amazing EFT sex therapy in the world, right? And there's still going to be, there's still going to be problems. So, and then, then people are even in more despair, right? So you want to rule that out, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I have had clients where they knew there was something physiologically wrong and that created a lot of shame and that actually stopped right. going to the doctor to get the full treatment that they needed. Mm. I'm the problem. I'm broken. So, and so right right in that narrative right you hear the shame you hear the fear right so often when it when we slow things down around sex that's what you're going to start unpacking and i always feel what better model than than eft to really thoughtfully mindfully you know unpack all of that with folks to really help them understand what's how that's impacting their capacity to be sexual so it sounds like, you know, when we're doing the assessment, we're really expanding, trying to expand on any moments where they might have been tuned into their sexuality, to their, you know, body, their bodily cues that say, I'm aroused, I'm interested. Mm -hmm. We were 
expand and heighten those and get to know what those are so we can bring mm -hmm. relationship work. That's but right. I'm thinking also, this is a key place where sexual scripts may come into play as well, because, you know, if you're somebody who maybe said you've never felt desire, but then you kind of go into their history about maybe the messages they learned about sex growing up, maybe they learned that, you know, it's dirty or evil or, you know, whatever, something that's not good to want sex, to desire sex, it's only for procreating. So then if they're not having sex for that, they suppress any desire. So it's not even that they don't have the capacity, they've just been suppressing it for years because they've been told it's shameful, it's wrong. Right. That's, that's, that's a key point, right? That's what I'm talking about, these myths and, and just beliefs, the beliefs that we, that we live under and how that can impact you know, our ability to, to be sexual. That's exactly right, you know? So what are some of the most common myths that you find come across your office and how do you kind of get under those? Mm -hmm. um, one of the, the big one, right, that, that I'll often hear um, is, you know, sex is, you know, sex is just bad, it's dirty, it's messy, it's, you know, I've never been good at it. I've never felt good about my body. I've never felt, you know, I'm not this sex machine. You know, you can appreciate, you know, in our culture, what we hold up, you know, as, as the ideal body. Who, I mean, it, it doesn't even exist. I mean, half of these images now that were, you know, they're all, they've all been like retouched and these, these, these folks don't exist, you know, but we think, and I, you know, I live in New York City, which is, you know, there's a lot of very, very beautiful people in New York City, you know, but the, the way that we, you know, we, we, we put so much pressure on ourselves and then we start telling ourselves if, if I don't look like that, right, then how is somebody going to really desire me? And one of the biggest aphrodisiacs we can have, right, is to feel desired right, is to feel that, 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 that energy of someone wanting us, right, somebody desiring us, that can often fire up the, the engine, right, but if we're cut off from that, if we're, if, if our feelings are, you know, if we have a belief that that's, you know, we're just, that's not going to happen, that's just not who I am, right, hard to, you know, hard to get our erotic engine humming, right, and something you said triggered something that I remember I had a few clients mention too around feeling desired is that they feel like their spouses just want it, not. Mm -hmm. It's a big one. And yeah, I approach that a lot. Of course I want you, you know, mm -hmm. they, they don't understand how the dots aren't connecting. So can you talk to us a little bit more about yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. I work with that a lot too. I know I've, I've worked with that a lot. <laughs> um, and, you know, look, I, I, and this is what I love about EFT. We unpack it. We validate it. You know, we, we validate each position. We get underneath there, right? Often, you know, one of the fundamental underpinnings with this whole differential and sexual script thing, you know, that, that we're all having to navigate with our couples, right, is what we've learned, right? For some people, some people are wired the way that, that sex works for them is they want to have sex to feel connected, right? They want to have sex to feel connected. I don't feel connected from you. I feel disconnected from you. I don't, I, you know, I feel like you're far away from me. Let's have sex and we'll feel connected again. It'll be great, right? Where other folks are more organized around, 
I want to feel connected. I need to feel connected to you, right? I need to feel connected to you in order to be sexual. If I don't feel connected to you, why on earth would I, I want to have sex with you? Ah, no, not happening, right? I need to like be, I need to feel you with me. I need to feel emotionally connected, right? I need to feel safe. I need to feel like you're, you're really with me you're really present for me right then that's kind of like then my erotic window right that window we talk about you know our willingness window right then our window opens up but until that's happening you know please get away from me and so then what often happens right is they never work through that they never work through that until they get into your office right until they land into your office and then you start to unpack that and you start start to help each person because you can appreciate right unless they've been able to have emotionally present conversations around that where they weren't defensive where they weren't stuck in fear that when they weren't stuck you know in in the negative cycle when they weren't above the waterline right in the negative cycle you can appreciate all they're going to, you know, they're just vilifying each other, right? They're not, they're not capable of really opening to what's happening for each person. And so then what often happens is you get into this, you know, you know, one of the most common ones that we deal with, right? We hear about, you know, in a straight couple, we'll hear about the wife doing her wifely duty, right? That whole thing. Like, you know, it's like, she just like rolls over. Okay. Let's, you know, I'll just do this and get, get this done already. You know, not gratifying not gratifying and when you unpack it often with the husband while any kind of sex is better than no sex for some people it's not what they really want right they're not really they know you know people get a sense you know we we get a sense with our partner right and so we have to slow all that down really and help them help them understand that and then once the person who's more wired around needing to feel emotionally connected right you know in order for, for that willingness window to open they have to feel emotionally connected once we learn about how we create that right then of course the person who is more wired around you know let's have sex to feel connected we're going to be able to sort of massage that gridlock right and yeah. the two really move in concert together because they do yeah one needs to feel connected. And, and often I find, you know, with one of the partners, the one who needs to have sex to feel connected, you know, when I dig a little bit deeper, I find that they don't know how to get emotionally close to their partner. And right. it's all this stress on sex. It's like all the eggs go into that basket and their partner feels it because they're like, you know, they just want sex all the time. It's like this unquenchable mm -hmm. will never be enough. And it's really draining for that partner because the other partner really just wants to get close and the only way they know how is through sex. And yeah. so unpacking that really and helping them to find other ways to, to pull their partner close then helps their partner feel connected and more willing to have sex. And then they're both actually getting ready. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah. So that's how we start to get into the underbelly with that. Now, what about one of the other myths um, that's, that's pretty popular out there is that sex needs to be novel and, you know, with, with new things all the time or new partners, like, 
You know, you, you can't have sex with your best friend because that's just weird. It's too comfortable. Right. You know, um, I mean, this is one of the things we address in our workshop, Sex is a Safe Adventure, because we, you know, we're, we're coming from the premise, from the idea that as we create security, right, we create the secure bond, we create that safe haven with a couple, right, that from that platform, they're, they're in their best position to then launch off and have an adventure, right? And, you know, uh, I love, you know, all the metaphors around sex is, is, you know, they're so often around food, you know, sexual menus, all of this. Suzanne Iazenza talks a lot about this. She's a sex therapist in New York. I do a lot of consultations with her, you know. And, you know, we, we talk about, you know, with, with sex, if, if, you know, you may love pizza. Pizza is your favorite food, right? But if all you have for dinner is pizza, day after day after day after day, at some point, you're not going to want to have that pizza anymore, right? It's not, it's not going to be happening, right? So we want to expand the menus. And so then, right, why isn't the menu expanding? What's going on there? Is there fear stopping folks, right, from having that adventure, right, from creating an eroticism? right? Eroticism requires us, you know, to take emotional risks, you know, and be, you know, be creative. Think outside the box. There's nothing wrong with that, you know? Um, it's, it's a beautiful, it can be a beautiful aspect of our sexuality, but we have to be willing and able to do that. Can we turn, you know, can we become present for ourselves, become vulnerable, and turn to our partner and share about what's really going on there? You know, and for many folks, they don't even know. And that's what they're going to do in your office. You're going to help, you're going to help create a space, a very safe space for them to tune into these places in themselves and help them share, you know, and, and turn to their partner and share, which is very gratifying work. So are we going to put this back into the cycle and almost kind of do a little bit of stage one work at the beginning of our work around sex and kind of trace how maybe one person pursues for sex or how one person avoids sex, what the blocks are just as mm -hmm. you, the regular cycle. That's right. Yeah. We talk about how, you know, there's the relational cycle and then there's the sexual cycle and, you know, they're different systems, you know, they're different cycles, but they impact each other. And sometimes just, you know, for the EFT uh, therapists out there, sometimes, not always, but sometimes the positions are reversed. You know, it usually has to do with sexual trauma, sexual shame, major, you know, things where, you know, where, where a person who's normally the pursuer in the relationship, because of, you know, whatever reasons are going on there, when it comes to sex, they just completely shut down and they become the withdrawer. And so, you know, you just want to be patient with them and yourself as you start to map this out and really start to understand what's going on. Because in the beginning, you'll think, wait, wait, you're the pursuer in the relationship. You must be the pursuer sexually, but it's, it, that's not always the case. Right. So what it kind of sounds like, too, is as, you know, we've already, usually we're probably going to do this work around stage two, even though, you know, so we're stage two in the regular relationship cycle. So things are more stable. It's more safe. So then when we go into the sexuality, it's going to be a lot safer to open this up, even if we are kind of doing stage one work with the sexual cycle. But mm -hmm. I like, say, when they switch positions, you know, now the pursuers withdraw and you are tracking their, their negative sexual cycle and really bringing out, you know, all of the perceptions, the beliefs, the emotions, 
everything that goes into the cycle, then I think, you know, what sounds kind of cool is that you would get to another form of stage two with them where you're going to help re-engage the withdrawer sexually. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. right. Well, I never even really thought of it that way. So uh -huh. it's like a whole separate other withdrawer re-engagement. Now that would be a great series to do, withdrawer re-engagement. <laughs> actually <laughs> uh -huh. no working with sex look there's a lot of vulnerability that is going on you know even with our folks that are just saying i just want to have sex to feel i just need to have sex to feel connected i just need to have sex to feel connected right well you know what they're connected to somebody right they love somebody who isn't wired the same way as them so they're going to have to learn about their partner right and we're going to have to learn about what's going on for them and oftentimes you'll, you know, you'll hear these, you know, you'll hear about like, you know, um, where their self-esteem is so predicated around, you know, being sexual and feeling desired and being able to turn people on, right? Being the, the sexual vixen and all of that. And underneath that, right? Why is, why is there rigidity there? Why is there rigidity there? Underneath that is often, you know, fear. It's around, that's all I am. That's all, you know, it's, it's my identity. If I don't have that, who, who am I, right? So, you know, we get to, you know, slow things down and unpack all of that. I, I'm really like putting some pieces together as you're talking about this. And I'm thinking in terms of, you know, putting sex into the attachment frame. Mm -hmm. Is that somebody who needs to be the vixen all the time to me says anxious pursuer. So, you know, go into that frame of, you know, what, what's underneath that anxious pursuit in this way that they need to go to these methods. It's another way of them, you know, reactively trying to pull their partner close and essential. Uh -huh. That's and right. And soothing the anxiety, right? Soothing their anxiety. Right. Yeah. And the same thing with the withdrawal. It's like, don't be fooled when they say, I don't need sex. It's not that big of a deal. It's kind of the same thing as a withdrawer who says, you know, I don't see why I need to share my emotions. It's not mm -hmm. a big deal. We know mm -hmm. in a love relationship, <laughs> it is a big deal. Mm -hmm. That's right. Your partner isn't that that's not true for your partner. And oftentimes, once you build the alliance and you're really in the underbelly, right? You'll find that it's, it's not true for them either. They just were kind of cut off. I'm not saying that's always the case. I don't, you know, I don't get into this, you know, this sure. one thing, you know, for anybody. But often when you slow things down, you learn about there's a lot going on there. Just like when we do that awesome work of, of withdrawing the, of bringing, of reengaging the withdrawer, you know, and, um, and really, you know, bringing their world to light, you know, often for the first time, you'll find that there's, there's often a lot going on there. They're just kind of hidden behind this, um, this mask. So let me, let me see if we can, you know, um, lastly kind of talk about this really important thing that I've had come up a lot and in speaking with other therapists, they've had it come up a lot is um, female partners who have used sex as a tool to secure the relationship. And then mm -hmm. once the relationship is secure, they don't. <laughs> there goes the sex. <laughs> yeah. They're like, I don't really like sex is okay, but you know, like they, sex has never really been that like that form of bonding it's like it was just a method to secure the relationship and once the relationship was secure they're happy and they're mm -hmm. fine i've i've yeah i've seen that yeah i've heard yeah i've dealt with that yeah well you know if if they were with a partner who was just like them 
they probably wouldn't be in our office, right? They'd probably be, oh, they'd be a no sex marriage and it would be okay, you know? And the research shows there are couples that are not very sexual, that, that are, you know, very happy in no, basically no sex marriages, but both partners have to be, that has to be their truth, right? That has to be their truth. And there are folks that are like that, but those don't usually land in our office. What we get is, you know, one partner is dragging, <laughs> dragging the other into, uh, into therapy. So, you know, we're, again, we're going to want to slow things down and get curious and this is where we have to be really mindful about, you know, becoming judgmental or where our own sort of ideas, myths, beliefs about sex can um, impact our, our capacity to really lean into another's world. We have to be, and that's, the, I really should emphasize that, you know, we have to do, when you're working with sexuality, you really have to do your own work. You really have to be present for how it, how, you know, your own, how the culture, how your upbringing right, has influenced, you know, your, your values around it. Um, but, you know, with that couple, right, you're going to slow things down and learn about, so, okay, so you're saying you did it, it was kind of, you know, this was, this was, um, you knew it was important in the beginning, you knew it was important to your partner to be sexual, so you, you certainly went along for that ride, and now you have a couple kids, and that part of you is saying, I'm done. I, I did what I needed to do. You know, you just, you're with each, with each person, right? You're going to have to thoughtfully, mindfully, you know, kindly, patiently unpack it all. Right. And validate, 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 then cross over to the other partner, really learn about how this has impacted them, you know, and you want to do that work in front of the partner, right. To really slow things down and learn about what it has been like for them. Right. And to try to start to, you know, do your step three, you know, of really identifying what, you know, the emotions that have been really, that have been masked in all of this. Then once we've de-escalated, once we've de-escalated and they start to have a felt sense, right, a felt sense of, of uh, how this has been playing out, especially with this, with the one who's saying, look, the door's closed. It's not happening. Let it go, you know, because that's, there's a rigidity there, right? There's a rigidity. So hopefully once we've done, you know, a really good stage one work where they each have a felt sense of how this has impacted the other and what's going on, right? And the person who's, who, who wants more sex is starting to get a felt sense of how that, you know, that script has served that person, you know, why it has been important for them to sort of see it as that way, right? Then we can start to do our work. I prefer to do this kind of work in stage two. I will say though that, and we, Zoya and I talk about this all the time, and she has an awesome tape on working with a couple um, who, who really are in stage one, but they're in such pain about it that she had to go in on the sex, right? And so we often, we often has this assumption, we have this assumption that you have, you know, you do the sexual work in stage two. Yeah, sometimes yes, but sometimes no. If folks are in pain and they really need this is what's going on, you have no choice. You have to deal with, with, with the sex in stage one. But what I like to say there is if you do effective work there, right, the, the stage one sexual cycle work that you're doing will generalize to the relational cycle, right? Does that make sense? 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is really helpful. And I'm, you know, <laughs> while you're talking, so guys, have you seen me squinching my eyebrows? <laughs> I'm concentrating, I'm, I'm connecting, I'm <laughs> organizing everything. This is so good and so helpful. And it's great to hear. And, you know, I'm just thinking about, you know, when you do get into stage two, you know, because it's, it seems, you know, you, you have things like sensate focus and all these things. And, and it seems like it's almost easier again, it's easier to work with a sexual pursuer, just like it is in the regular cycle because they're giving you more material to work with. Right, and they're so motivated, right? right. <laughs> they're like showing up at your office. They've done all the, you know, they're like, they have all, they've been thinking about this forever. <laughs> right? Yeah, so I think, you know, really kind of conceptualizing the, the sexual withdrawer as, you know, really seeing them as the withdrawer, like the attachment withdrawer and using mm. the same set of tools, you know, helping them tune into those moments, you know, just as when they might have a little faint piece of emotion in their relational cycle, you know, they may have a, a glint of a moment of desire with their partner and really trying to get in and heighten that and, mm -hmm. and bring it out and help them to tune in mm -hmm. to their own desire mm -hmm. which part of the engagement you know you look at the blocks what what blocks so the rigidity comes from this block to closeness in this way and you're really going to dig under that block and then help them start to tune into their own body their own desire for connection give themselves almost permission to desire their partner again that's lovely. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, that's what we're, that's what we're after. That's what we're after, you know, to really um, give people permission. Oftentimes, you know, they haven't given themselves permission, you know, for, for themselves to be sexual, you know, for that, for, for, their, for their sexuality to be important to them. And then, of course, if it's not going to be, if they haven't given themselves permission to allow, you know, to, to, to allow them to be sexual themselves, how are they going to, you know, how are they going to start to see their, you know, I like to, this is how I like to frame this. It's like, you know, your domestic partner, you know, the partner, you know, the, the person that you parent your kids with, the person who, you know, you guys make dinner to, you know, all of the, the activities of our lives, right? And, and, and our domestic partner, how do we begin to see our domestic partner through the erotic lens? You know, how do we, how does that, how does that come online? And there's, you know, if, if we haven't really given ourselves permission to, to do that, you know, how, are, how is that not going to impact who we are and, and, our, and what plays out in our relationship? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is so, so important. And, you know, oh man, <laughs> this is so helpful. Thank you so much, Michael. Now you and Zoya have workshops on this called Sex is a Safe Adventure, right? Yep. People attend, how can they find one? How can they schedule one in their area? Um, we, well, we have one coming up in two weeks in Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Center for EFT. Just, you know, um, I mean, certainly, you know, Google, Google Philadelphia Center for EFT. The, um, you can uh, sign up through their website. Um, that is, um, when is it? It's, it's March 2nd and 3rd. So it's coming up in a couple weeks. We have another one. Um, we have another two day workshop. Zoe and I in Boston, we're in Boston, March 16th and 17th. That's with the new England center for EFT. So just go to their website and you can sign up, uh, through, through them. Um, we're also, um, 
going to be uh, in Irvine, California for a one-day workshop, I believe, uh, October 6th. Uh, and then we, we also booked Arizona. Uh, we're, I believe we're going to be in Arizona in March of 2018. So those are the ones that are on the books, but um, I believe some others are, are, are you know, are, are, you know, in the, in the works, right. Um, so yeah, so we have that. And then if you, you know, if you have any questions or want to talk to me about any of this, my, my email is fulfilled. It's really easy to remember. It's fulfilledcouples at gmail.com. Um, we have a website. And I have a website, fulfilledcouples.com. <laughs> so that's easy. And so folks can contact you and try to maybe get one of these workshops scheduled in their area? Sure, of course. And you can always contact Zoya as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for being on our series today. You've been so much yeah. of a <sighs> Oh, you're very welcome. This was fun. I'm glad, I'm glad we did this. Absolutely. Thank you everyone for watching. Make sure that you subscribe and stay tuned because more videos are on the way. <laughs>